Okay, today is December 31st, wow, 2023, with all that that implies. And uh, we have to continue davening with all our heart and soul. It's a very difficult week for me because uh, I'll, I'll explain tomorrow. I had a deep connection with uh, one of the people who fell. And the funeral Friday, a young boy from Kolchav Yaakov, he was uh, in, my grandson was in the same unit in the army with him when uh, they did Hezda, and uh, my grandson was, was at the funeral and just blown away, a Yiritzatik. And among the pictures circulating on the websites, this is Rabban Salavechik's grandson. It's Reb Meish's son. And he's holding, uh, what is this exactly, Mark? Uh, maybe the great, uh, great-grandson. A great-grandson already? I'm looking at the color of the hair. Okay, got it's a, it's a, they send it to Rabban Soloveitchik, and he's holding a missile or a bomb f- f- uh, from the Soloveitchik family with much love to Nasrallah. <laughs> he's up north. He's on the Lebanese border, and the, he's, uh, it's the, the bomb or the missile is marked... Uh, he mocked it up, and I guess he's loading, uh, they call what's called the loader. Another picture, which is really beautiful, it's Gerich Hasidim with big machine guns, and they're at the, guarding at the wedding of a grandson, a grandchild of the Rebbe, and uh, either they served in the army and they were Kravi, or they're part of the Kitat Konanut that may be uh, it's all over today, Kitat Konanut. So it could be, but they can only have a gun like that if they know how to shoot and regularly practice, so these are legitimate people. Also, I want to mention, much to my joy, why you is very seriously uh, canvassing for students for the four-year program here, and they're having a... Uh, a big event at the uh, Inbal Hotel, January 22nd at 7 p.m. You have to RSVP, let them know that you're coming. And it's to talk about the academic partnership with Barilana, Tel Aviv Universities, and how this program is going to work. And I have to say, for me, it's a dream. What, what begins small, I always tell people... BMT began, Kenny, with 10 students. I, not all are alive anymore. 10 students. And it changed the Anglo-Toro world. All right. Uh, I'm, I'm ready to begin. Uh, and it's a very important shir today, as you will see. And it's all Rebbe Nasha Klein, the whole question of Mishira, taking children away from their parents. And... Uh, the fears that he develops, taking children away from parents, they can only keep it up the aim. Uh, a parent dies, they don't know. Anina, Tavela, Jerusha. 
uh, he even goes so far as to say, Gonev Nefashot, Anisa Diorita, the Ten Commandments, the Chi of Mita. Okay. Uh, I have to say, obviously, he's overstating the case. I don't think uh, you have to be a big London to understand if a kid doesn't know that his father died and didn't observe Anina to Avelot, he's an Ones, Ones Rachmana Patre. But if we understand Rabbi Nasha Klein, then his background, what he went through, you can understand why the anger and why the intense reaction. I also want to correct an impression I may have left. Um, the meeting with Rabbi Nasha Klein, I was not at. I, I, someone got, maybe I said, I, I'll tell you what the story was. I was in, I'm always in America limited time and the meeting could only take place a few days after we went back to Israel. I think we went back on a Thursday and the meeting was the next Monday. But I got a word-by-word, blow-by-blow description of exactly what happened in the meeting. And the key words were, I went through it, but I can't help you. He had no contact, no way to help. And it, it's a, you have no idea how sad that story is for me because I can still hear my dear Talmida and, and grew up in my home in America yet and I can still hear her saying I was in a strange world I had no one to turn to. Her parents were divorced. Her father was in Israel. Her mother was in Los Angeles and she was in Toronto and he knew the city inside out. And uh, it was a tragic story. And unfortunately, my dear Debbie, let me mention her first name, Zichrona Levracha was at Sadekit. She died young. Who knows how much that aggravation didn't affect her health. So it's very emotional for me to talk about it, but all right, I've said what I've said, and I, I, I bow my head humbly difficult to understand people. There's a beautiful Pasuk in Mishle that God created a person decent, Yasha. And yet sometimes we so change our thinking, our lives, that uh, we are far from Yasha. Okay. Now I want to go one step further and introduce something that I uncovered uh, this past week. And uh, I think this will be the first time anyone will talk in a halachic uh, context about the Woodstock of October 7th. So Rabbi Nasha Klein makes the point, and I cited him last week, that all this concept of taking children away and not beating and hitting them and treating them with kid gloves, We've, oh, before I do this, just let me mention, this is very important, that Ramanasha Klein raised the issue of if we don't know who the parents are, you take them out of their house, a brother and sister can marry. So I told you that in Israel, this was big news in the 70s, that it turned out they were unable to unlock how the parents became pregnant, it was artificial insemination, and it turned out that a brother and sister were going with each other. They were impregnated by the same 
father, the sperms were from the same father. And Mark gave me an article, I couldn't believe it. And here we're talking about Holyoke, Massachusetts, that uh, the, the, the boy involved, David, lived a few houses from you, am I correct? And he met this girl, Vicky, and they fell in love, and uh, they wanted to get married, and it turns out they were brother and sister, and uh, they were married. It's only afterwards that the district attorney found out they were brother and sister, and there was a whole investigation, then artificial insemination, and the description here is interesting. Both are about, f they, were, they were adopted, oh, they were adopted, not of a, but it, exactly, exactly what uh, Rev. Manasha Klein is worried about. And both are about five feet, five inches tall, with dark hair, strikingly similar smiles, on identical cleft chins. So you see, halachala maisa, that uh, on that level, you have a real problem even though the odds are totally against it, then we go with Rove. But here you have a case, black and white. You don't know what ultimately happened. This is going back to the 70s, but they were worried they'd go to jail, and did someone from the DA officer, no, no one will go to jail. But Okay. But I want to come back here now. So Rabbi Menashe Klein makes the point that we've all been influenced by the generation by the uh, atmosphere around us, by the generation in which we live. And I don't have to tell you, this is a, a hashkafic philosophic question we have struggled with for hundreds of years now. And uh, we Jews are well aware of it. Uh, take the American story, families that came, the best example, Reverend Satius, and seven generations later, vexatious. So sein gesund. Remember, I told you, it's a hundred years today. Top tennis player in the United States, wasp, white Anglo-Saxon, Protestant, Tahar, direct descendant of the first rabbi in the United States. So how do you react to it? What do you do? And I need not tell you uh, the rub's attitude and as defined by a guy named Rakefet, and there's no better definition of the rub. A Litvak in the Western world. He's a Litvisha, no question about it. That's the basic core of his existence. But he chooses to live in the, live in the Western world. Chassidim have a different approach. Lakewood has a different approach. The bigger the fence we build, the healthier we will be. And I'm not here to take sides. Each point of view has its pluses and its minuses. Um, so Rabbi Nasser Klein says, and remember the example he gives, that yeah, in the Western world today, you let the kid do whatever he wants, and the wind-up is they come to high school and they come to college with guns. And uh, that's quoting Rabbi Nasser Klein. All right. I uh, value anything printed, anything published, and uh, I always look to see what's new. So a number of years ago, I corresponded, there's a yeshiva in Bnei Brak. It's uh, 
the Rosh Hashiva is Rav Mazuz, and he descends from Gedolei Israel. I believe it's Tunisian Yechis, if I'm not mistaken. He's one of the Gedolei Israel today, and uh, the Yeshiva publishes our Torah. It comes out, I believe it's four times a year, and it has very fascinating articles. Halacha Lemaisa, Rabbi Vaji Yosef, agree, disagree. Halacha Lemaisa, there's an article in here, if Rabbi Shecht is giving a shia later today, so uh, Rabbi Shecht comes to the conclusion you shouldn't light candles, Yontif Shani. It serves no purpose. Here, there's a whole article you should only light two candles. Some people have a minute to light three, to light four. Some people light for every child, etc. And here there's an article, since there's already light and you're not really accomplishing anything by lighting more candles, on that level he says only light two. He's not totally like Rav Shechta, but he draws the line at two. Maybe he agrees with Rakef, but I once gave a member in Shir, I spoke about it, that the two candles represent the completion of our preparations for Shabbat for Yantif. It's not just the question of light. It represents the final act. And at of Yantif, the lights are there, whatever has happened, the, the food is ready, whatever you prepared, the house is ready. I just read in Torah Tidbits, a wife of a Talmud of mine from the Kolel, she writes at times her husband comes in, knocks on the door after davening, and she and the girls don't let him in yet. They didn't finish setting the table. And he's accompanied by malachim, she says, and she doesn't want the malachim to see they were tardy in getting the table ready. So, all right, you can take it as you wish. Uh, I, I, I'm not happy to hear my student has to stand outside and be mavakal from Tehra. Let him come in and sit down and learn till you're ready to start the sutta. So, so... An interesting article, but that's not, not 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 what I'm interested in. Anyone who wants this can take it afterwards. It's the latest issue. They always send me three issues. Uh, it's called Our Torah, and I want to cite from the article by Rabbi Avishmaya Chaduk, who's uh, a, a, a Talmud of this yeshiva, and evidently a rabbi in Yerushalayim. It's the Svadic world, the Eidah Tamisrach. Harav Avia Shmaya Chaduk Yerushalayim, and uh, he, in print, this is the first serious discussion I know of of what happened here on October seventh, and he raises the issue: uh, such a tragedy has happened, and we've had. One tragedy after another. I don't have to tell you what happened in Meron. And uh, I trust you know Colin Stalin when they, the new Beit Medrash was ready and uh, the seats caved in, the bleachers. I believe two people were killed. Am I right? Two, two were killed and uh, quite a few were injured. And we had Corona. One tragedy after another. And nothing compares to the pogrom of October 7th of Simchas Torah Lo Aleinu. So, he says, we all have to ask, And 
he reaches the exact same conclusion that Rav Menashe Klein reached. Why does this happen? We're learning from the Goyim. We're learning from the Western civilization. We're learning from what they call today the woke generation. And, and I'm quoting him. What's the attitude? Let the youngsters do what you, they want. There's no barriers. Woodstock, and I'm going to call October 7th Woodstock because it's a direct grandchild of Woodstock. By the way, Woodstock happened in 69, and I didn't even know what was happening. 69, we went in Aliyah, and you know, going in Aliyah without Nefesh Benefesh in those days was a lot harder than today. People walked on the moon in 69, but living it, we lived nothing. We were just living the Aliyah, packing up, getting to the boat, getting to Israel, getting to the absorption center, looking for housing. Oh, it was uh, quite a year of stress. And But Woodstock, what does Woodstock teach you? Do whatever you want as long as you harm nobody. Drugs? What's wrong with drugs? I'm not harming anyone, so I'm a little high. What's wrong with free sex? You eat, you drink when you have a desire. Why can't you have sex as long as it's consenting human beings? I don't want to use the word consenting adults because I wouldn't say when they have condoms on sale in high schools in America and in, don't want to go further, let it not be said, uh, no, it's consenting youngsters. You're not raping anyone, you're not harming anyone, you're not breaking anyone's windows. And this is the Western world, do whatever you want. And he says, this is exactly what has corrupted uh, the state of Israel, the youth of Israel, that thousands on Shabbos, Shmini Atzeret, Simchas, Teira, instead of Shmirat Kedusha, just the opposite. Now, and he says we have to do tshuva on this. Here I come to a, a part of the tshuva. Until now, he's word by word Reb Menashe Klein. But then he has one big problem. And uh, he reveals it here in writing. Uh, I don't want to say it's a well-kept secret, but I know names of the biggest Rabbanim in both the Haredi world and the Hardali world, and their own children perished on October 7th. I know Yeshivat, and we're not just talking Hezda Yeshivat, right-wing youngsters were there. So now this raises a very interesting question. And uh, he says, you know, we can't be angry at those who are not raised in a religious environment. And he quotes the famous Chazonish, Tinek Shenishbu. And he says, but these kids who were raised in a religious environment and had the best chinuch possible. Ab shegadlu bechet mishpacha shomeret Torah u mitzvot. He says, 
they do not have the status of Tinokot Shenishpa'u. And here he's very strident and done, done otam, mamish lekavchova, that they had a fabulous education. And look where they wind up, at Woodstock. So I have to tell you that I totally disagree with him. Look at the Rambam, and this you should memorize. Hilchat Mamrim, Kerek Gimel, Halachi Gimel. You see, the mam- Hilchat Mamrim is about sucking Mamre. It's right before Hilchat Avelot. It's right after Hilchat Eidot. Sucking Mamre is a very fascinating concept, but it's not for now. It has halachic inferences. In other, I don't want to go into detail, but uh, for the sake of argument, there were certain gedolim in the 20th century who refused to budge from their halachic principle, even though the overwhelming majority of Paiskim were opposed to them. And it wound up in matters of death for people who followed them. And I heard Gedoli Israel say that they have a din of a zakin mamre, ke'en a zakin mamre, I'll put it that way. So in order to understand what a zakin mamre is, Hilchat Mamram, and among the other things in Peri Gimel, the Rambam deals with Gimel, Halachalaf, Halachabek, Halachigimel, these are the three most important Halachat in Hilchat Mamram. Mishayna Maida Betoshabal Peh, that someone who is in Maidr and Torah Prayer, he's an Apikairis. And once a person is an Apikairis, we have all types of halachat. Again, I know all the sources, but I'll, you look at the Rambam. If you want to check, you'll check the sources through the Nosei Kalim. For instance, the Gemara says, Ma'alin v'yein moridin. Moridin v'yein ma'alin. In other words, you don't kill them directly. But for the sake of argument, if you come to a, a red light and you see this guy crossing and no one's looking, run him over. He climbs up a tree and he can't get down, take the ladder away. He goes into a pit and he, and he take the ladder away. Don't let him get up. And wow, and, and ah. But then the Rambam says, who does this law apply to? to people who were raised to Chila, they were from, and then they became kofrim. have no din of an apikores. Hareichem ketinok Shanishba Beinehem Vigadlu and the Ainazarizle holds Badakeha Mitzvot Shahareu Kaanus and the Rambam says he was influenced, he didn't have a good Torah So Rav, the author of the article in Arhatorah wants to say these kids had a good Torah Hinoch. And I say absolutely not that these children, look at the words of the Rambam, who is not a, who is a Tinnik Shanishpa, Benetom Elu, 
ובני ביניהם שדיחו אותם ונולדו בין הקוראים וגודלו אותם על דתם. And you see, there isn't a chinuch in the world today that you can say is perfect, is absolute. You can go to the finest chinuch atzmai school. You can go to the finest chardali school. But you walk on the street. There's television. There are computers. There are billboards. They're newspapers, and chas v'chalila, I would be done a young person that he's not a tinuk shenishba. You can find the finest chinuch. I saw it in my own life in YU. I can remember students. Remember one student in particular was part of my chabura, And his father was a survivor and very close to Reb David Lipschitz. I still see his father talking with Reb David. And this kid was one of us. Later in life, I didn't recognize him. So I asked him, how did you go off the path like this? I, um, I apologize for telling you his answer. He said, yeah, you go out with a girl who's religious. All she says is good night. You go out with a girl who isn't religious? I don't want to finish the sentence. Uh, I looked at him. Do you see? That whole attitude undermines our entire concept of Kedusha, of family, of husband, wife, loyalty, all that goes with it. I'll never forget in early 70s in the foreign students program, a girl asked me, pre-marital relations, the girl will go to mikvah? Don't want to mention some Rebbitson in Lincoln in, in the Upper West Side. This idea was thrown out by from people. And I said right away, it's the end of Yiddishkeit. I have to tell you, I was shaking when I answered because I wasn't sure I'm right. They're asking, Mikva, etc., Spoke with the Rav about it in great detail, and uh, I was absolutely mechavan to the Rav's opinion, but it's common sense. When you matter something like that, the whole sanctity of life dissipates before our eyes. And I can give you many, many examples. And this was Woodstock. This was October 7th. Sex is one of the factors But it's a basic factor, because it's young people, the hormones are strong, the sexual drive is powerful. And at that moment, freedom, who needs to be fenced in? And you're too young to appreciate that what you're doing is, is undermining all the generations that came before you. So I have to say, on this level, I disagree with the author. And Tinok uh, Shinishbar is a lot more than just the kid raised in North Tel Aviv. And there's no way these demonstrations against computers, they're taking, sh uh, what was it called, uh, Shea Stadium, what's it called today? It's a different city, City Park, I think, uh, in Queens. What's it called? City the Field. City Field taking city field and hiring it. You remember it? It must be 10 years ago already. And big demonstrations. 
I don't know how much that accomplishes. What, what, what can accomplish is chinuch, pride in being a Torah Jew, understanding what being a Torah Jew is all about. Now, on the last page of his discussion of this topic, he's very interesting. And I have to say, uh, this, this deals with the rabbinate, with sermons. He says, uh, our only solution to the problem is chinuch, is education. And he says, this is where the rabbinate falls short. Because what happens in shoes? You have a big crowd, he says, particularly Friday night. It seems among the Sfadim, I don't know, in South Africa or in Australia, the crowds in shoes on Friday night are overwhelming, much more than Shabbos morning. And it seems here with the Sfadim, he says, we get the biggest crowd Friday night. And what do the rabbis talk about? And he uses Yiddish here in quotation marks, a gutavot, vot matuk. A sweet word, he says. They dash in on the pasha, and 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 this is easy, and people love it, and they give a good word. He says, no, what we have to dash in on Friday night is Talmud Torah. Jews have to learn Torah. When they learn Torah, they will understand what our life system is about. In addition, davening three times a day coming in contact at all times with Rabbanim, with Lamdanim, he says, leave out the good word, but speak on the basics of a Torah life. And I have to say, this is an interesting article, and as that, that part where he says, we learned it from the Goyim, the woke generation, he's echoing Rabbi Nasha Klein. On Tinak there, I humbly disagree with him. It applies to someone who had the finest chinuch in the world. A question that I saw asked in, I think it was Besheva, a lot of the people, lower lane, who were at Woodstock on, on Simchas Teira, a lot of them were Svadic youth from Frum homes, and there's been a tremendous amount of Balichuva. Many stories are surfacing. And these people realized Ab Khan. And once Shaila that uh, came up fascinating, a, a person, a yeshiva boy who was there, and early Shabbos morning, Simchas Torah morning, he had to see a friend. And he drove out. Drove out. While he was driving, the invasion began. And then he was driving to save his life. Afterwards, Chazabit Shuvah came back to what he should have been. And he asked the Shaila, does he have to do Shiva for his driving that morning? Yes, he left. It was Hillel Shabbos. But then it became Pikuach Nefesh. Does he have to do tshuva for driving that Shabbos morning? Could you imagine this was someone who maybe never drove before on Shabbos and went down to celebrate and his conscience bothers him and the Rav answered correctly that for the start of your drive 
you have to do tshuva. That was Mamish Bizadon, Hillel Shabbos. But God saved your life for the rest of the drive. You have to thank the Rebani Shalom that he saved your life. So I hope, I'm, I'm sure we're going to have many, many more uh, written chuvat and articles on Woodstock, on, on Simchas Torah, but this, as far as I can tell, are the first two instances I've seen serious discussion. Uh, how are we to relate to it? Okay. That's point number one. Now I want to go further in Rav Menashe Klein's tshuva. And here you're going to see a very negative attitude towards the Gentile world. And you can only understand that what he went through, the Holocaust, the, uh, it's, it's something... I've often struggled with this because look at the Gentile world. Look what... I don't have to go back to World War II. Look now, the Gentile world. Obama used all his influence to get the Board of Trustees of Harvard not to fire the president. You follow me what I'm saying? That Jews can be put into the oven, can be put in the crematorium. doesn't bother them at all. And uh, I, I, I can tell you, uh, I, I think I told you in debate, I, no, there was, I think I told you about the Kavanaugh. So I was foolish enough to debate with reform uh, clergy in Israel uh, many years ago, the programs in English. So one time, this, this person, I remember his name yet, I don't know, he's dead, let me not mention anything. He, he was a product of Mir and Lakewood. Could you imagine? And a reform rabbi teaching in Hebrew Union College down, down, down the street from my house. And uh, he comes with a list of sukkim in the Torah that are abhorrent. And he throws at me, you know, dealing with Amalek. I look at him, I said, you have a problem with that? I don't have any problem. The Holocaust didn't answer your question, what a Amalek is capable of? And I got a lot of compliments on that. But uh, I, I can't agree with the Benashe Klein, and I'll tell you why. It's one name, Sempo Sugihara. Zeichet Tzadik Lavracha. When I think of what that man did, and there were others that helped him, by the way. I, I, when did I talk about it? I think in my article that appears in, uh, in, in Hakira, you'll see other names, how I give you a brief description of how they were able to save the Dutch ambassador, etc., these with Tzadikim. So, with all my disdain for Obama and, and Harvard and UFP and MIT and there's something now circulating in, in Florida in a university, an area where they're speaking that we're murderers, we kill children, we kill... God, it's beyond comprehension. But nevertheless, I can't totally agree with Reb Menashe Klein. But let me, let me, the sources, what he does here, are very interesting. So Reb Menashe Klein says, I'm continuing in the tshuva, it's Chelek Tet Zion, Tshuva Simen Nun Chet, 
and it's on the second column of page Kuf Chaf Bet, where he begins his analysis of the Gentile world. So he says, Chas v'chalila midin Torah, Jews who care that we should be moishrim and have children taken away from their parents. And that's what we spoke about last week. Jesse wasn't here. I'm happy to see him today. Um, a kid, Rebbe Klein says, he's happy to be beaten by his father and mother than to be by strange people. Is this correct or not, Jesse? So I think at the individual cases, there can be parents who are cruel. And Rebbe Klein later says this, parents cruel, parents not cruel. Uh, um, a fleck, a fleck is the Yiddish, you give my fleck, you know, a smack. Uh, some people expect it. I told you with the Druze, with the with the um, the 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 shliach from the Misrata Chutz, he lost his position because he admitted he'd smack his wife occasionally. She didn't complain, but the neighbors who saw it complained. But uh, right, this is dinin efashet, dinin efashet. But you do have laws that they take away children from families. The government, uh, a, a modern state, the police force, social workers, etc. So Ravanasha Klein says these laws are for Gentiles. But it is and I mean, this is a pretty shocking statement that Gentiles have one set of human laws. I mean, we're dealing here with Sheva Mitzvah, basic laws of human with, with human existence and, and Jews are different so he says he evidently realizes that he's saying something shocking so he says and let me explain myself and here he goes into a whole description of the Gentile world beginning with Yaakov and Esav. The minute Esav finds out that Yaakov gets the bracha, what does he say? Let me wait till my parents get over it, and I'm going to kill him right away. Uh, that the word go that this is his mentality, Hayadayim Yaday Esav, this is the way he lives. And then he uses the example of abortions. He says, here, the entire Gentile world today, and he's talking in modern times, abortion became a form of birth control. And it, in other words, at one time you had to go to abortion clinic. Uh, you know what uh, the truth, if you go back into history before 1940, 770, no? It, it was owned by a doctor. You know what the building was used for? No? Abortions. And uh, people will always whisper that, you know. I don't see any problem. Chabad bought the home, built it up, and got rid of all that was there before. It sanctified the ground. But abortions were whispered. You see movies out of the 1930s, so whenever there's an abortion, it's not public. 
uh, there's a whole series, and remember I quoted it from Australia, forget the name right now, uh, Mark, you remember the name in Australia about the Jewish woman who survived the Holocaust, and there you see an abortion clinic, secret, underground, you need the password to get in, and he says, today, abortions are done in public, they murder and abortions of children who are fully formed already. And these people, these Gentiles, for them we have to protect children. They can kill their own children. And then he becomes a Dashan. He talks about Hagar and he says, she ran Ozara. This time God tells her to go back. And the second time she's sitting there, the kid is hungry, thirsty, Hanad Sameh and and Lamayim. And what did she do? Instead of looking for water, lifting up the child, telling him Maybe a miracle will happen. I saw angels when I ran away before. Maybe I'll see angels again and they'll show us what the water is instead of going to search. And instead, she starts to sit further away from the child, not to see the child dying. And this is a Goya. This is Haga, who already was on a bit of a level. She's complimented for her loyalty to Avraham Avinu. And nevertheless, look at her indifference to her son dying. And then he compares it, compare her to the Yisraelit Hatzadeket, what did she do? Remember, the prophet promised her she'll have a child. She was barren. And suddenly the child doesn't feel good. And she sees the young boy dies. What does she do? She runs with the child to the prophet she runs lo Shabbat Hayom, lo Chag Hayom, and Naaselanes, and they bring the boy back to life. So you see the difference between Hagar and the Shunamit. And then he goes on and on. Now he deals with the Givonim and how they demand the death of the descendants of Shol HaMelech. And as much as they plead with them, they refuse to back down. And they have to give them seven grandchildren of Shol HaMelech whom they kill, these are Goyim, these are not Jews. Shalosha Simonim Yeshbu Mazu Rachmanim Ubaishanim 
These are the Jewish people. But the Goyim, they can be murderers. And if that's the case, at times you may have to save a child and take them away from their natural parents. All right, that's a quite a strong assessment and quite a strong conclusion. But if you've gone through the concentration camps, you can understand Rep. Menashe Klein. Uh, I understand them 100%. And uh, time and again, you'll see that we you grew up in America. I grew up in a neighborhood, a third Jewish, a third Italian, a third Irish. We could never make such extreme statements because we lived, we were integrated. It was World War II. We all had a common enemy to a certain degree. And I don't, I don't remember as a kid feeling any deep anti-Semitism. Yes, occasionally something was said that people believed that Jews were cheap and Jews bargained. It was uh, Nixon made us who once said something to that effect. He, he, uh, but you know, it, it, it was part of the slang. It's like the difference between the Irish Catholics and the Italian Catholics was the Irish drunk. They were, they could get drunk, they drank whiskey. The Italians drank wine. They didn't drink whiskey. There was a big difference. And But Rapanasha Klein, I can understand it. All right, but he doesn't run away. He, uh, he, there's one question, one question you have to ask. Uh, what about if you do have a Jewish family that they are mentally ill? They beat the kids. There's really sakana there. Are you still going to say you can't be most of them to the Goyim? And here he admits, yes, these are his words, that there may be a case where there's real pikuach nefesh involved. So then he says, before you go to the police, before you deal with the Gentiles, you have to have a Baitin of Talmidei Chachamim, a Baitin who have the status, which we spoke about a few weeks ago, Apitrasim Shel Yatomim, kids like this who are being beaten. You have to have a Baitin, this is Dinei Nefashat, and Baitin Heim Apitrasim Shel Kitane Yisrael B'Makom Shein Av, and they have to make a thorough investigation what is happening and is it really Pikuach Nafesh and only then if the Beitin agrees can you go to the authorities. Now, I don't have to tell you what you're touching upon here is a, a concept that comes up time and again. 
who do you go to with questions like this? What much, how much does a Beitin know? Have they been trained in this area? State of Israel, we've had terrible problems with sexual stories, not just in homes, in schools. And I don't want to be too sharp, but if I'll be generous, I would say the percentage is just as high among Haredim as non-Haredim. The truth is it may be slightly higher. It all goes back, and Rakefet has said this a thousand times and no one listens, when you don't print pictures of women, you're giving the world the message that all women are for is to satisfy man's sexual drives. That's a terrible, terrible message. There's some of the girls who went to right-wing schools and later rebelled. You'll start to understand what I'm saying. When you give a message like that, all men are sexual themes? I don't know. I don't know. I went to B'nai Akiva and 98% of our marriages worked out beautifully. Magnificently. I don't know. That's a terrible message. And then you leave the impression that life basically goes back to men's sexual desires, advances, and women no more than pinups. And I can tell you a guy named Rakefit suffers until today. He once saw a picture, I wish this wasn't true, of the Chafetz Chaim's wife's face blotted out. I shiver when I think of it. The famous picture where his second wife is standing behind the Chafetz Chaim talking with his son from his second wife, Rebaran, and they blot out her face. I don't think there's a kapara for a sin like that. So, who are the experts? Who knows? Who knows what's going on? And this is a very delicate question. That's why in the state of Israel, I told you, the police department, and I give all the credit with all our problems here, and I don't want to minimize, we're a country at war, as we're teaching, a war is going on. A real war in the full sense of the word. And with all our problems, the police now have a special unit of women who are officers, Haredi'at, B'nai Brak people, in the full sense of the word. And the minute someone comes with a sexual problem, a woman will come to the police, immediately these women are called into play. And this is a very delicate question. I would say, keep the rabbis out of it. I would rather say, take special Talmud Chachamim who can be trained in these areas, and they're the ones who have to investigate. Now, Rabbi Nasha Klein is aware of this. I have to give him credit. Why? 
he goes in, and I'm not going to give all the sources, but you can research if you're interested. Yoradea. So, the Paskin Shabbos and Yoradea, you have to have the meat and the milk. And know what went on in the kitchen. It's black and white. Some of the shaglish you get in Ebenezer, a husband and wife are fighting. Who's at fault? Is he mistreating the wife? Is she a moredet? What should we do with the ktuva? Should we have a divorce? Should we have shalom bayad? These are questions that come up day in and day out in the state of Israel in the Bate Dinam. My daughter has told me endless stories of cases and endless stories of Dayanim. They're so Dayanim who she said deserve Olam Haba 50 times over. She described it. There's some Dayanim don't leave until everything is settled. There's some Dayanim who have such insight to life. To but you know what the evidence, you know what the practice was? You had to put spies into the house. He, he quotes it here. I'm aware of this. People should see what's going on in the house. How do the husband and wife treat each other? What is their relationship? A book just came out on Rabbi Cooperman. Rabbi Yehuda Cooperman. Again, yes, sir, you're... Uh, you hear the name, you dimly know who I'm talking about. Rav Yuckel Kuperman was one of the main educational forces in Israel when I came in Aliyah. Mechala, it's a whole new concept. Okay? Pioneering individual. So this book is cute. They quote discussions between him and his wife and she would say, darling, and uh, he felt dear, and like, the book makes the point, in Israel we don't talk this way to our wives, but in America, this was the nohag. But I want to tell you, I got, I once had an incident where I called the Tommy Darvine, I don't want to go into more detail, you like that, I don't want you to identify but I was proposing a husband for a very important position. And I'm Harebi. And I'm twice his age at the time. And uh, she refers to her husband as, if my wife would say, oh, you want to talk to Rabbi Rakefet? If my wife would say that, I'd be finished. God, my husband, my prime... Darling, dear, sweetheart, you understand what I'm saying? It reveals, it shows. All right, I admit, in Israel, they're not used to this. But in America, they, they forgive the Coopermans because that's what they picked up in Chicago. You follow me, Yomo? That, that's the attitude in the safer. But as an American, what else is he to say to his wife? Giveret Sipora? What's he supposed to say to her? That Vipanishalayalam. The Rub's wife called him Beryl. What else is she supposed to call him? Understand? You see an intimacy of a relationship. You see the respect, the love. Ah. 
So I have to say, Rabbi Nasha Klein is very sharp here, very good. He says, I would advise the Rabbanim to put spies in the house. He says, there's some viewpoints that you have to watch a couple fighting for three months, how they get along, how they get along in the house. And the same thing with children. That they have to go out of their way to seek and learn to steal the facts. Same thing here. Don't father, mother, complaints, you start to worry beyond the boundary, check it out. Spies in the house. And at the end, he makes a very important point, and I think this is, I think this is the most important point of all. And it all goes back to my story with the Pesachon Inspector, you know, with the kid getting smicha, and he says, be careful about the fifth Shulchan Aruch. And the kid says, Rebbe, I know four, not five. The fifth Shulchan Aruch, common sense. He uses the word here, Kenny, I challenge you to translate that sentence. I'll translate it. You need a lifetime of experience and seeing what I've seen in my life. You see, you got to be very cunning. And as cunning as you are, the kulo high, ulai, maybe you'll succeed. Now what this is talking about is street smarts. You understand? There's some people who could never leave the classroom. In a classroom, they can either go out in the street, be business people, they would never succeed. They'd be too naive, too good. You understand there's a part of life, you got to be a little cunning. you got to understand beneath the surface. And this is the hardest part of all. Because people can be very generous and very nice in public. Behind their backs, you don't recognize them. And I, I know I've had students, I've seen this with my own eyes. I remember one, one woman complained to me, my husband's the biggest phony in the world. I said, what do you mean? She said, in Shulia, he works, he gets covered, he's a good day. At home, he comes home, well, he said, this is the covered, it's not sincere. She was complaining against him. I said, look. Covered is part of life for most, most people. You have to balance it out. But street instincts, no one can teach you. It comes with life. Some people develop it, and some people never develop it. Uh, street instincts. Think about the Reverend Boston, what he went through in the 30s, the 40s. I once spoke in Boston and I, I've, I've had some amazing happenings when I give a public talk. And I spoke about in Boston to the rough struggles in the 30s and 40s. 
It's after, it was right when my books were published. Uh, I was just complimented. Uh, Rabbi Goldsider called them monumental volumes on the Rav. Halavai, Halavai, Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem. And uh, uh, when I finished the talk, elderly people came over to me. Rabbi Rakefet, how did you understand that? How do you know that? How did you decipher that? We lived it. Call a cavalt to you. I said, you're right. Not everyone can understand it. That's why, you, you see, you street instincts. I always say the Rav became the Rav at his, in his classroom in Yeshiva University. You don't, when he came into YU in 41, and there was a whole machoikis, you know my lectures and what I've written, whether he could become a Yeshiva or not, and he came in and they gave him a one-year contract. At the end of the year, we will meet again and decide. They never met again, never decided again. The one-year contract extended from 41 to 85, Baruch Hashem. Ill health finally forced him out. But uh, when he came in, you understand? I don't want to tell you what he was called. I had to answer a question this morning I dictated to Yomo. If his name is Yosef Dov, Yosef Bear, or Yosef Dove Bear, and he was called by his initials in YU. But you see, he rose and became the Rav. The street instincts were much better. It was different than Boston, where he went into a shul and insisted the Kohen had to do him when Yunta fell on Shabbos. And we've spoken about the story, famous story. They called him, I told you, they called him a Machal Shabbos, that he insisted the Kohen should do him. But, you know, street instincts, you're in the rabbinate, they have this minhag, don't fight them. Let it continue. Start to teach. The Rav said this years later. If I had any seichel, I would have started to teach Duchenin. Why you should Duchenin. Why not every day? You follow me? Develop the whole concept. And maybe, ultimately, you can say, Mariva Rabotai, now that we all understand this, perhaps we should institute Duchenin on Shabbos when it's Yantaf. You follow? These are street instincts. Not everyone develops it. I, I saw in life my rebellion, the survivors. Rabbi Hanich Fishman was a perfect example of someone who made his peace and understood the American scene. I don't think Rabbi Yeruchim Gerelik understood it. I don't think Rabbi Noach Bornstein understood it. Each one had a, a different concept of America. I don't want to go into more detail of Shmuel Volk. I saw the struggle with him. You know who was very in the American scene? Rev Yaakov Moshe Cohen lesson, the Mashkiach. And I have my own theory. Again, it's a Rakefet theory. I have a copyright on it. I say the reason he was so good, he didn't come to America for the first time running away from Hitler. He came in 24 with the rabbinical delegation, he was the right hand of the Lush Mordechai, Rabbi Mordechai Epstein. So he saw America in 24, and they traveled all over America, Canada, 
uh, they were in Toronto, they were in Montreal, they were in Philadelphia, they were in Boston, wherever there was a, 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 a European Jewish community, they were there, uh, Rav Cook, Rav Dukav Merov, Rav Novikana Shapiro, Rav Moshe Mordechabstein, and each one had a, a, a shamus, an assistant with him. And Rav Lesson saw America, so he digested the American scene. Same thing with the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Visited America 28, 29, spent the year in America. When he came back 10 years later, he knew the American scene. So you see, these uh, street instincts, it's the most important part of life. If you're in war, if you're a general and you all read what's going on, decisions have to be made, you have to have sharp military human instincts. And not everyone has it. And sometimes you can have instincts and Ashkachar is against you. Lives are lost. This is the Nitziv on war in Breshit and, and, and in Devarim. It's the same concept. We lose lives at war but we can't fault the commanders, the generals. And this is Rabbi Nasha Klein. And I, I, I have to give credit, because you can see he's struggling. Uh, in other words, you can have Jews that are cruel. You can have Jews that are cruel. I could never understand it. I'm very naive. I, it took me a long time to grow up to understand there are people who don't want to observe the Baha Hashem. I can never understand how a Jew could, you know, who knows and willingly be a Mechalel Shabbos and Oichlin Avelet and Treifat. I could never, but, but you have to have the instincts. So how do you know? So have spies in the house and see the way the parents are treating the children. Okay. Let me go one step further. Let me come to an amazing, very famous source for the Gedolei HaPoskim. Agreed that uh, at times you may have to take kids out of the house. You may have to talk with the authorities. Agreed that at times it's better the police take over even though there's the great fear that these children will be moved to a gentile home. To a home that could be Jewish but totally not religious. And this is the fear. Okay. At times, we may not have a choice. And here, let me get it out. Here, Rabbi Menashe Klein quotes the Chatam Sofa. Uh, just a word or two on the Chatam Sofa. I always use this example. The Rav was a Litvak. He did not deal with Achronim. When you ask the Rabbi Shaila, he dealt with the Sugya, the Rambam, the Shulchan Aruch, the Nosei Kalim. Very rarely did he deal with Achronim. 
Reb Moshe Feinstein was a litvak. Look at his tshuvat. Very rarely did he deal with Achronim. When uh, Rabbi Frank Greenblatt wrote to Reb Moshe and quoted a Melamed uh, Lahoyil, Reb David Svi Hafman, so Reb Moshe told him, "Ein My dear friends, Vic will testify. Otsar Sforim, 33 Canal Street, was around the corner from where Reb Moshe lived. Reb David Feinstein used to have lunch every day in 33 Canal Street with Yankala Goldman, who took over the business from his, from his aged father. They were Gerach Siddim originally. I don't know if you remember. Do you remember Yankel Goldman's father? Gerach Hasid. And Reb David was very, all that, all Reb David had to say to Yankala, my father wants the Malamad Lahoel. Within a second, he would have lifted out the Malamad Lahoel with the greatest covet. Let your father hear it is. It was just reprinted in America, I think, 46. 40. I have the original copy, 47, the reprint. Max, yes. Reb Maishu, it, it's not Reb Avadji Yosef. Max opened up a, a, a Reb Avadji Yosef, uh, his chuvat. He couldn't believe all the achronim that Rabbi Vaji Yosef knew. It, once here there was a contest between Rabbi Vaji Yosef and the computer. They, the newspapers had a field day on the shire of a woman covering her hair. And Rabbi Vaji Yosef knew more sources than the Barilan computer. It's a different approach. You open up others, they're already... There's more bikiyot than the litvisha. But what's fascinating is even Rav Moshe, even the Rav, there were certain achronim that you couldn't ignore. For example, Noda the Yehuda, Chatam Seifa. These were, by the way, a PhD just came out here on the, a few years ago on the relationship between them, fabulous volume. They, they were so great, so accepted, you couldn't ignore them. So here's a Chatam Seifer, and Chatam Seifer wrote many tshuvat. This is, I don't want to say the most famous tshuvat he wrote, but it's certainly a very, very widely quoted tshuvat. All right, let me give you the source. Shalit and tshuvat Chatam Seifer to Orachayim, Shuva Pei Gimel, 83. Now, and, and here's a, a sad story. It's part of life. Birth generally works very well. Thank God. Sometimes something goes wrong. And a child is born. They use the word today, challenged. The Rebbe always used to talk about Europe. I think I write about it in uh, my volume citing the Rav. The Rav used to say, in There was the Shtat Shaita. The Rav used to say, generally in the towns in Europe, there was always... A kid who was challenged. He was called the city 
Mushugana Shalta, translate it as you wish. So the Rav says, today in America, what are we doing? I know this. I know Big Rabbanam had a child who was challenged. They wind up in a home. Today, they're Jewish homes. Today, I don't have to tell you what the OU does. Yachad, they have a part. I, I cannot tell you the chesed, the chesed involved. You have no idea. I've seen it with my own eyes. And uh, it says in Europe, there were no institutions like in America. But what would happen? The family, the kid inherited money the Dayanim would have a fund to take care of this kid. And like they would have the kid, the Rav said in, in his shtat, they had a kid who worked for the grocer. And he knew how to put the vegetables here, the fruit here, and that's it. And the kid was paid by the grocer, who in turn was paid by the city from the money that this kid inherited. So here you have an unbelievable question. And I can tell you this question came up. I know great Rabbanim who put their kids into homes that were not kosher at the time, but there was nothing else they could do with the kid. And here he gets the Shaila from a Talmud of his, from a Talmud of his, and... Uh, What's the story? That uh, in his kehila from the Sephardic element, they taught him Israch, Sephardi, uh, he says a kid was born, and uh, one thing is certain, that he's not normal. He doesn't speak in a normal fashion. He's not clear in his speech. He doesn't, he, he's not, a cherish or any lame. It's not that he's a deaf mute, but he has no pikchut, knowledge, chachma, whatever word, intelligence. And Everything he does, everything he acts, you see that he doesn't have a proper IQ. There's something lacking here. And uh, what do you do with this kid? And it turns out that he inherited, he was an only child, and his father left Izavongadol. Of sach atzum, a fortune of money, and ein yoresh achers latrashota hazeh. He's the only heir to the father, and his relatives went to the biggest doctors, and all the doctors in Vienna and in Budapest. They said there is one Beit Chinuch, one institution, that if the boy will be put into with this institution, they will educate him and train him. And while he will never be 
as smart as the general population, but he will be able to function. He'll know exactly how to speak. He'll have the basic instincts of how to act. And this is the only solution to help this child develop. Ah, but what's the problem? Place is not kasha. It's not Israel. See, in Israel we have a miracle that these problems do not arise today. You have Amit and other institutions. The chesed is unbelievable. And the question of kashrut, Shabbat, do not come up. But here you're talking chutzlaris, and I saw this with my own eyes. I have to tell you that 1961, my first rabbinate, it's a difficult year, you all know I suffer until today, or I'm blessed until today, that it was a difficult year, knocked, knocked any haughtiness or self-centeredness or ego out of yours truly. Totally, totally God. Mark has a problem. I don't dress like a rub. I don't act like a rub. I don't insist on being called by third person. I feel bad when people stand up. me. They're kids in current shrug. They're standing up. How do they know who I am? They ever heard me give a share? It's one thing I say, don't stand up before I give the share. After I give the share, if you think it was decent, all right, give a yasha kayach. But one of the things that happened Vic, in 61, Hanukkah, the sisterhood uh, said, look, we want to do a chesed. We're going to make a Hanukkah party for Jewish children in a home. I think it if I'm not mistaken, it wasn't in, in Philadelphia, it was in Camden, New Jersey. I think it was across the bridge in Camden. And it was a, a public home, Jews, Gentiles, not kosher. And I make, we make this party, I speak, and it was, a, you know, it takes you in a summer way to see kids who are 20, 25, have the intelligence of eight or nine years old. You follow me, Mark? So a kid comes over to me, and says, I don't want to go any further, you'll identify. But the kid says, where did you go to school? I tell him. He says, my father is. And I look at the kid's face. Wow. Big Talmud Chacham's son in that institution. And this here is exactly the Shiloh. Kashrut. In Rishonim, Sarah Shama Kivin Shabavaydaya Vadayo Chel Nevelat will call Trefat, and this now, this is the Shaila that the Chatam Soi forgot. I'll I'll tell you what's very fascinating here, and uh, today. Who can believe it? The Chatan Seifer answers, I'm quoting word, look up the chibi, you won't believe me. He says, I'm shocked that it took 10 days for the mail to deliver your letter. This is the state of Israel. Uh, Max, don't run away after Shab, something I have to show you. That's from 
August and it's wandering around in mailboxes ever since it was sent. Uh, and the Khatam Sefer says, I'm sure that you've taken care of the problem by now, but out of covet for you, my comment, I'm going to write an answer. You follow? He was shocked. <laughs> Ten days. And, and uh, he, he writes, he writes, uh, I saw the reasons you gave, and I understand that we have many reasons that we can be makeled here. And of course, one of the basic reasons is he's a katan, he's a shoter, shoter poto mikol hamitzvot. And if there's a chance that by sending him to this school, they can educate him and bring him up to a certain level, then he says very simply, makes the analogy. It's better lechalel Shabbat Achad. Remember with Hillel Azakim when he's on top of the roof on Shabbos and he's frozen. And the mechalel Shabbat Achad to save his life that he can observe many other Shabbatat in the future. And he makes that exact analogy that this may save him if this is the case could be we absolutely should allow him to go to this school. Makes another analogy, the whole sugya of Torah B'midbar. You lose track, you don't know which day it is. I told you, my grandson told me he just had this experience in Aza. They were in battle like 72 hours straight. And when they finally could catch their breath, they didn't know what day it was. Mamish, the, it was only on the intercom with another tank, talking to another tank, that the other tank mentioned Chodesh Tov. <laughs> and then they realized that it was Rosh Chodesh and what day, and they had to say Hallel. But you understand the, when you can't leave a tank you, and, and all everything is in the tank, whatever food you can eat, the bathroom, I mean, it's, a, it's you have no idea what, what these young boys go, young boys, my grandson is the eldest in his unit, he's sitting 40, and it's a, a Miluim unit with 10, 10 Merkava 4s. Could you imagine what they're driving worth hundreds of millions of dollars and doing a job with it and wow. God watch over them. But anyway, coming back here, so you don't know what day it is. Tell me if it's a Suffolk Shabbos, thinking Suffolk Yisur Torah Shabbos, shouldn't be allowed to do any work at all. Suffolk, they are right to Luchumra. But what do we say if we don't allow them to move during the week? If we don't allow them to cook, they're going to die. They're going to never come to civilization. So again, it's the same concept, Menashe Klein says. Better the Chalel Shabbat once so that they'll come to civilization and be able to be Shema Shabbat. 
indefinitely for many generations to come. So, you see, you have to weigh all the factors. And the Chatam Sofa, absolutely, if you look at it from a pure halachic vantage point, absolutely permissible. And even though you say you're not allowed, there's a concept, you're not allowed to feed a cotton or a shaita nivelat by your dayim, but here, you're not feeding him. You're just putting him into the hospital. You're just putting him into this institution, to this type of school. And you're not even telling the Gentiles what to do. But on the other hand, okay, he's a shaita, he's a cotton. There's no solution to give him kosher food. They'll give him non-kosher food. But this food will that this food will keep him alive, enable him to learn, enable him to study, enable him to succeed. And therefore, may Hadin put him in. When he turns 13, take him out immediately. Yomo, you're satisfied? This is the Chatam Sofa. Then comes the bombshell. Ah. My dear students, Kabbalistic literature, no, the treif you eat affects your entire personality. You're not the same again. Taking a kid, feeding him tafis, nevela, treifat, living with goyim, it's not going to be the same. And this is where the Chatam Sofa throws the curveball. It ruins the heart, ruins the compassion, gives him a bad nature. And here the Chatam Sofa says, Better he should remain an imbecile his entire life than put him into an institution where he will be subject to non-kosher food, non-kosher environment. Yes, this is an emotional response. Halachically, Hatam is matir. Halacha can't go through with it. Shota kol and not be defiled. 
והשם יחננו דיה בילה והשכל ויראינו נפלאות מתחרתו הקדושים הקדושה הלא כל דברי אוהב נאמן חותם בברכה gives the date and has the always signs Moshe HaKotten Sofa me Frankfurt Alhamayn Gentlemen it's quite a chugger and it's uh, you know endless food for thought there much of it I'll deal with next week the Chatham Sofa the Rush but Rebunasha Klein close to Shiva and you see the chasm the dialogue the difficulty the two mountains I would call it on one hand Sakonat Nefasha parents beat the child you're worried stiff what will be in this house? On the other hand, the police can take the child and put him into a totally non-Jewish home. Or a Jewish home that's non-Jewish in practice. Look at Barbara. Barbara, let me pronounce the name right, Streisand. I got the, a town that gave me, five, I, talk, I spoke about it last did I speak about it here? Oh, I don't know. I got a big package. I didn't speak about it here, I don't think. I got the pack. I got a call that there's a package for me. They're delivering. Would I let them? They seem to know 18 Berlin has a fence up. So they asked me, can we get it into your building? Would you let us in? I said, I'll come downstairs and meet you. That you will be here in three minutes. The car pulls up. And a Svartik young man with a big kippah comes out big package and uh, he looks at me and he says uh, I want to carry this upstairs I can't give it to you it's too heavy and with such emotion the chilul rechimu adata penesa I don't know why I am from a home the ground although it did say Rav Aaron Rakefet from a Rav Aaron Rakefet from America they wrote that but do I look like a Rav I mean so I had a, I said to him, let me see. And I said, no, I can, I can manage it. He only wanted me to stand next, keep the, you know, the car and tell people to be down because he was blocking the entrance. He'll be down in a minute or he'll carry it up, leave it at my door. Anyway, I, I, I was so moved. I mean, I don't know if you'd see that any other place in the world. Here there's a certain chinuch, Baruch Hashem, with all our problems, Baruch Hashem. So anyway, among the gifts, there were five wonderful books, and one of them was the Barbara, from my wife, the Barbara Streisand autobiography, a thousand pages just came out. Of, no Gadol Hadover wrote a thousand pages about his life, but she wrote, she wrote a thousand pages. But it's amazing. Her father, her birth father, was a from one hundred percent. I couldn't believe the stories, the little stories she tells. And he died when she was a little girl. And her mother, I don't know how, why, when, where, it all disappeared. 
So you, I continue, I've I, I read a little bit. I'm, I'm curious to see the Jewish aspect. Of course, she was a, she's a world-famous woman. And uh, nothing left of Yiddishkeit. She can read Hebrew. First three years while he was alive, she went to a yeshiva in Brooklyn for girls. And, and she could read Hebrew. And then you see she ate every type of chas, every type of tafis. Not even a question. Shabbos, whoever heard of Shabbos? And, and th- this is what we call, you can give the kids to Jews, but a totally non-Jewish environment. My dear students, first of all, you have no idea how your presence gives me life. Vic, I'm telling the truth. Gives me life. It's not easy, not an easy time, and Kenny will tell you, anyone who has children, grandchildren in the army, anyone who saw the post on Friday, a whole article on the Bentheim family, which I've spoken about, you don't know who the Bentheims were, Charlie and Ilse, I never knew such tzaddik, that much I can tell you. And on a personal level, I didn't have a greater devotee than Ilse Bentheim. Oh, whenever she met me, which was often because her daughter lives across the street from the shul that my children run, and I dove in there every Friday night, she would say, Baron, every word you publish, I don't want to repeat it, but Baruch Hashem. Yes, it's difficult times. We began this year with a prayer. The prayer should be mitkayem, fully and completely. So what did we do today? All right, we spoke about Woodstock. I call it Woodstock. You know why, Kenny? Because these are all children and grandchildren of Woodstock. That whole idea of the woke generation, that's where it began. Threw everything away. I'm not harming you. I am 19 years old. I'm sleeping with this 20-year-old girl. What's wrong? She agrees, I agree. It's the end of all sanctity the end of the heart of Jewish existence, the sanctuary of Jewish, the fortress of Jewish existence, the Jewish family, the children we raise, the grandchildren, the great-grandchildren. On my fridge there hangs a picture of my great-granddaughter named after Malka's mother, lighting Shabbos candles in Gan. Yet that's, that's the reward for our existence. But Woodstock throws it all away on every level. What's wrong? Drugs, chaza, oysters, clams. Who am I harming? Man, freedom of choice. And that's exactly where that article and Rabbanasha Klein in total, total agreement. Let me give credit to the author of the article, Harabah Via Shmaya Chaduk Chetalad Vav Kuf. Avia, by the way, in Israel, there are certain names that are both for men and women. It's unbelievable. I have a granddaughter-in-law, a great, great lady. Avia, right or wrong? Avia. Named Shacha. I have a granddaughter-in-law named Shacha. I know boys named Shacha. I have a great-granddaughter named Yuval. No Yuval. We call it Yuvalis to differentiate between the male Yuval.
It's interesting. We're developing a whole new language here. But that was an interesting comment that exactly like Rabbi Nasha Klein, but he goes even further that Tinuk Shinishpa does not apply to lower Lenu many of the youngsters in Woodstock on Simchas Teirah. I disagree. I showed you the Rambam, and uh, it has great chinuch implications. There's no way you can raise a kid today in a total ghetto. That's the story with the uh, potato chips. I love that story. I lived it. Whoever, when we came in Aliyah, there were very few products kosher for Pesach. It's not like today you have every last thing in the world. If you eat kidney up, there's no Pesach at all. It's all <laughs> no difference between Pesach to all year outside of matzah taking the place of bread. So uh, in the mid-70s, a great thing happened. They came out with potato chips for Pesach. Wow. And the Badats refused to give Heksha. When the elder of Nishkesen did our grand our parents didn't eat this. Who needs it? The next year the reason the potato chip in Israel went out of Badats. Mark, what happened? They came from Mesha and went around the corner and he bought potato chips with the Rabbanur Heksha. Oy vey. One kid, a hundred kids, a thousand kids, before you knew it, ten thousand Haredi kids had potato chips and Pesach. The Badat saw they're losing the battle, gave the Hersha. And today there's no way you can, Tinak Shinishpa does not apply. The Chazonish, again, I don't have, I didn't have time, there's a famous Chazonish, he's, he's quoting the Chazonish, it's in the area of the Chazonish, fine. But that's the Rambam. Look at it carefully, you'll see I'm right. Perik Gimel, Halacha Gimel, in Hilchot Mamrim. Then he goes into his tirade against the Goyim. Not too complimentary to say the least, but nevertheless you can understand where he's coming from. And believe me, I have problems disagreeing with him. But when I think of simple Sugiharo, Seichet Tzadik Levracha, I have to agree, disagree. Then we went into you need a bacon and you put it put spies in the house. Kenny, it's right there in the tree. You find Nevinessa. It's it's lahalacha. It means you gotta investigate. Social workers today, the Dayanim would ask for the social worker report. You follow? That's the way it works. And uh, finally, maybe there are cases where you gotta get the kid out. And that's the tshuva chatam seifa. We're not finished, but that's a very powerful tshuva. And uh, as you see, he's willing lahakel, but his conscience or his heart, his instincts don't let him. How can you halavaisya shot that kol yamechayav and shouldn't eat tafis? My dear students, are there any questions? Okay, I want to yomo yomo. Where's yomo? Please. Sign off and until we meet again in health and happiness, that's for Danya. We have a, a big crowd. I'm sorry, I apologize to the people on screen, but I have too many in front of me. I have to look at them first. It's like the banker. Uh, when, when we used to have banks in Israel, I'd always be upset when the teller is on the phone. I'm standing in front of her and you answer a phone call. So I have to look at the wonderful students in front of me. Yomo, open it, see if there are any questions. Recording stopped. Is Rabbi Shechter speaking in this room?
this in this room. Probably. Uh, excuse me. Probably. Yeah. Okay. No, no. Okay. Okay. So you have to finish up. Okay. Uh, are there any questions from around the world? Everyone is quiet, so that's a bad sign or a good sign. I'll let Jack decide. Uh, and uh, Jackie saw with his name, you were, we were both right. I remember seeing Bunim, and you said Yisrael. And, and Yomo says, everyone calls him, what do they call him? Either, either Bunim or Yisrael Bunim. Either Bunim or Yisrael Bunim. So if you wrote Yisrael Bunim, you can't be wrong. Or if you wrote Yisrael Bunim, you can't be wrong. Yisrael should technically be correct, but no one will know who you're talking about. All right, until we meet again in health and happiness, Dasvidanya. Ah, Ruchen to you.